Well, welcome everyone. So good to have all of you at all of our churches today, Bluntstown, Shipley, and Mariana. Hey, can you believe tomorrow is Christmas? Which means that most of you are in just like full logistic mode at this point to make sure that everything is ready for all of your Christmas experiences, right? But for just a few moments, I want us to pause our minds and just remember why Christmas really matters. So today is our final conversation in our Christmas series entitled Waiting for Christmas. And if you haven't been with us for the past few weeks, what we've been doing is we've been talking about one of the struggles that nobody talks about at Christmas, but it is a significant part of the Christmas story. It's that weariness and hopelessness that every Christ follower eventually feels as they wait on God to act, especially whenever they're experiencing any kind of disappointment or any kind of suffering or any kind of interruptions in their life. And you've been praying about that and you've been waiting for God to show up and he doesn't seem to do that. And sometimes in those moments or in those seasons, it's really easy to think that God is not for us. Well, we'll come back to that in just a moment. Now, when I was growing up, my Granny Smith, she went all in at Christmas. We had the best redneck Christmases that you could imagine. Like whenever we'd go to her house, I mean, the Christmas gifts, they were piled up high and uh, she wrapped them redneck style. It was absolutely amazing. But there was always this great expectation of what we were going to get that we gave her on our list or we hinted around on our list every year. Now, what I'm going to say next on Blountstown and Chipley, Mariana, if you're an only child, you may not understand what I'm about to tell everybody else. But if you're not an only child, you're going to understand this. Because see, here's what would happen. On Christmas Eve or Christmas morning, whenever we'd go to my granny and granddaddy Smith's, um, it would get pretty competitive. And it can get pretty competitive when you have siblings, right? See, I have three sisters, no brothers. So I have a sister that's two years older than me. I have one that's two years younger than me. And then I have one that's like 14 years younger than me. You can imagine, she's spoiled. But um, bottom line, you know this if you have more than one child in your family. Whenever we were opening our presents at Granny's house, there was as much time spent at looking at what somebody else got as we did paying attention to what we got. Why? Because it was a competition about who had the best Christmas. Like, I could not wait to open my presents so that I could then make the obvious observation that I was clearly Granny and Granddaddy's favorite, and they loved me more than they did my sisters. Anybody else have that kind of dynamic going on, like in your family? And I pretty much, being the only guy, I pretty much won every Christmas until one year... When my granny and granddaddy decided to get us new bicycles. Well, my parents being good Mennonites like they were, they felt like they were spending way too much money to buy three bicycles. And they talked my granny and granddaddy into giving me and my older sister together a bicycle that we could share. And every guy in this room and in Bluntstown and Chipley understand the problem with that. I mean, it's a girl's bicycle. Like the worst Christmas of my life. But most of the time, since I was the only boy in the family, almost every year I won. Now, let me just go ahead and clear that story up. My granddaddy could tell how disappointed I was. And during that next year, I got a motorcycle, I mean, a bicycle, I mean, excuse me, a go-kart and a mini bike. <laughs> so it just kind of took care of itself. 
But I promise you, my parents would have given anything to have had a non-competitive Christmas. But I just absolutely, I know you can't believe this, I absolutely refuse to let that happen. And I know, because I know this is going to surprise every one of you at all of our churches, but I just love to stir the pot, right? So I would explain to my sisters how much nicer my gifts were and how much more money granny and granddaddy had spent on my gifts than my sisters. And then my granny, she would start protesting in her sweet little redneck way. She'd go, now, son, I spent the exact same amount of money on each of you to the penny. But by that point, I had my sisters in such reactionary mode. It was just way too much fun. And it would go on for all day. Like, look at this, girls. Don't you wish, you know? Now, here's the thing. If you got brothers and sisters, you probably have your own version of this. Like, who are my parents for more? You, you have that kind of game that you play in your house. And it's because, in all seriousness, there is something in every one of us as humans that want to know that people are for us, right? I mean, and it certainly starts with our parents and our grandparents. And let me just go ahead and say, and if you were not blessed to grow up in a home where you knew that your parents were for you or your grandparents were for you, we kept foster children in our home for 14 years and, and you know how devastating that can be. And it can also, at times almost feel impossible to outgrow because no matter your age, you, you want it to be true that your parents are for you, that they love you. But this desire that your parents and your grandparents are for you, it doesn't just stop with them, does it? It, it extends to others as well. We, we want to know that our extended family is for us, that our friends are for us, that we are surrounded by people who genuinely value us and, and love us. That, that is a longing that God built in the human heart, and it drives many of the choices and the behaviors that we make. But the one place... Where I think we all, we don't think about this, but I think we all feel this the most deeply is when it comes to God. I have never met a human being that did not want to know that God was for them. Even if they really didn't believe in God. If there was, they wanted him to believe that he was for them. See, that longing is real in all of us. Now, you may be with us at one of our churches today and, and may not even, you're trying to, you know, I just don't even believe there's a God or you, you may have been convinced that it's impossible for God to be for you because of the way that you were raised. But if you knew God existed, you would want to know that he genuinely valued you, that he loved you, that he was for you. You would want to be able to lay your head on your pillow at night and know that you have a father in heaven who is for you, who is with you, no matter what you're going through, right? But the reality is, even for those of us who believe God is for us, in our seasons of waiting, in those difficult circumstances and struggles, in those interruptions that we experience in our life to our plans, all of that stuff, it can beat the feeling that God is for us, out of us, can it? Now, so some of you have dealt with that issue this week. And maybe you wondered if God is for you because, man, there's been a lot of stuff happening. So some of you have battled this for months and it seems to indicate that maybe God's not for you. 
So some of you are finishing up a year that's filled with pain and heartache and disappointment. And every circumstance that you encountered this year, it seemed to scream that God could not be found in your life. You've been in this season of waiting, and you've been waiting for God to act, to God to answer your prayer. And in your waiting, you're wondering, is God for me? So here's the question I'm going to start with today, and that is this. So what do you do when it feels like that God is not for you? And is it possible to be fully confident that God is for you no matter what you're facing or what you're going through? And I want to suggest this morning that the answer is yes. That you can be able to say with confidence, yes, because Christmas reminds us that God is for us. In fact, if you doubt this is true, and all of us at some point, we do. This is a good time to go back to the story that we've all heard, but maybe never fully grasp the full significance of this story. So let me take a moment this morning to read through the Christmas story with you. Because if you've been in a season of waiting, if you're in a season and you're struggling to understand and know that God is for you at this moment, whether it's because of the circumstances that are out of your control or choices that were totally in your control that have wrecked your life, I think you'll find this story very encouraging. So here's how Luke tells us how things unfold 2,000 years ago. If you want to follow along, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Now, why is that significant? Well, when you were once a proud people who believed that you are God's chosen people, but now you are living under Roman occupation and rule, when this kind of decree goes out, you don't feel like God is with you or God is for you. In fact, you feel like because you're under Roman occupation and rule that he's probably opposed to you, that he's probably against you. I mean, that was kind of the general feeling and perspective throughout all of Israel in this season, in this moment. In fact, part of what drove that is God had not sent a prophet or a special message to the nation of Israel in 400 years. And so from their point of view, they felt abandoned. And Caesar Augustus, when he's on the scenes, seems like God had disappeared from the scene. So what happens? Well, this was the first census that took place while Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Now, for all of you ladies at all of our churches who have ever been pregnant, Imagine if you're in the last week or so of your pregnancy and you got to make an 80-mile trip by foot on a donkey or a camel in the last week or two of your pregnancy. Like, here's what I know about most of you ladies. You didn't even enjoy a trip the last week or two in a car that was 80 miles, did you? 
Now, you can imagine how uncomfortable Mary had to be. And if you were this little previous weeks, you know that God said, hey, my favor's with you. I'm sure Mary's going on this trip going, uh, how can this be God's favor? And see, while Luke doesn't tell us this, after being married for like 38 years and having done some very extensive marriage research, I have confirmed that if this trip was unpleasant for Mary, it was unpleasant for Joseph as well. <laughs> Like, nobody enjoyed this trip. But, but this is where they find themselves in this circumstance. They must have felt like that God was not for them. Even though the angel showed up and told Mary, and even though the angel showed up and told Joseph that he's for them, but these circumstances doesn't feel like that. Now notice what happens next. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. It's probably not how Mary envisioned how the birth of her first child was going to play, take place. Now, here's what I know. This is where most of us stop with the story. This is where we end the story. But there is the most unlikely group introduced in the next verse in this story. And from what they experienced, they teach us something incredibly important about how much God is for us. I want you to listen to how Luke tells this in verse eight. And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now, you think nothing of this, because you've always seen shepherds in the nativity scene, and you think it's so cute, you think it's so wonderful. But whenever Jewish people would hear this story or read this story, that shepherds were involved in the announcement of Jesus' birth, this was absolutely startling to them. And here's why. In the first century, a shepherd, he was considered to be at the bottom of the Jewish social ladder. See, the Jewish people put the shepherds down there with the tax collectors. That's not very good company. Shepherds, in fact, they were considered to be unclean by religious leaders, so much so that they were never allowed to go into the temple to worship. While they were raising the sacrifices for a lot of people to go worship, they could never go in the temple. Their moral character was so maligned that if they witnessed a crime, their testimony was inadmissible in court. That's how much of outcasts shepherds were. So we're not talking about a good group of church boys and church girls. This is why this next part was so unbelievable to the Jews. Notice what it says next. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds. I mean, to a Jewish reader, that would be unbelievable. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Why were they terrified? What kind of dumb question. If you woke up tonight and you found an angel standing over you, you'd probably have to change your sheets. But I'm just saying. <laughs> but as we're about to see, they're terrified because of the presence of an angel. See, they were terrified because the message that these shepherds anticipating coming from an angel was not the message they heard. Like, if heavenly beings showed up unannounced to the shepherds, they assumed it wasn't the news of God being with them. Like, we've messed up a lot. 
We, we've taken advantage of a lot of people. We've lied, we've cheated, we've stolen, we've messed up. And the angel of God showed up. It's about to go south. But God didn't send this angel with a message of condemnation. He actually sent the angel with a message of celebration. He, he's about to make an announcement that is gonna change all of history and he's going to give this message that is gonna change all of history to the most unlikely group of people. And it's absolutely amazing when you think about it. A group of people who feel like that no one is for them, including God. That's why the angel says this first line in the next verse. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Now let me just pause here for a moment because th this is why some of you are with us today. You, you need to know that you don't have to be afraid of God. And, and here's why I say that. We are all afraid of people who have power over us when we feel like they're not for us, right? Aren't we all afraid of people who have power over us when we feel like they're not for us? And, and God has all power over you, but you don't have to be afraid. Why? Well, the angel's about to tell us in the next part of the verse. He says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people, including the shepherd people. Don't miss this. The angel shows up to the most unlikely people imaginable and says, hey, I know, I know you guys. You're not invited to the temple. You're not invited to be part, any part of society. You're outcast of society, but you are invited to be part of God's family. You're invited to know him and to love him. I've got good news that's gonna be great joy for all the people. See, this news this angel is delivering isn't just for religious people or church people or good people. It's not just for people who are nice to their neighbors and don't speak a bad word about anybody. God sent this message to make it crystal clear that you can never outrun God's love. You can never outsend God's love. Listen, if the shepherds were invited into a relationship with God, every one of us are invited as well. And this is why it's good news that is going to cause great joy because it's good news for people like you and good news for people like me. It's new, good news for those of us who have regrets and rebellion and, and we have sin in our past and maybe even sin in our present. It's good news for all of us, people, human people, us human people who failed at marriage and messed up at parenting and screwed up our dating relationships and messed up our finances and got fired from two or three jobs is good news for all the people. And what's this good news? Notice it in verse 11. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, the fact that God sent a savior implies several things. First of all, God wanted to make sure that you knew that the Savior has been born to you. A Savior born to you. It's personal to all of you. And second of all, he believed this. He believed that we are in need of a Savior. It implies that God knows that things were not going right between us and him. And he's right, isn't he? It's not. Our sin 
It has separated us and created a conflict between us and God, so we needed a Savior. It separates us and isolates from the one who created us and made us to have a relationship with him. But God looked down from heaven knowing that we had destroyed our peace with him, and he says, hey, because I love you, I'm going to make the first move, and I am going to send a Savior to you. See, God chose to interrupt a group of shepherds one night because he wanted all of us to know, I've sent a Savior. He's been born to you. He loves you, and he's for every one of you. Now, God knew how hard that would be for us to receive and how hard it would be for those shepherds to believe, so he proved it. Look at this next verse. Here's what he says. This will be a sign to you. You'll find the babe wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. And then notice what happens next. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Don't miss that. And on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Listen, here's the power of waiting for Christmas and anticipating Christmas, and that is this. Christmas proves that God is for you. It doesn't matter your past. doesn't matter your present. God is still pursuing you, not to pay you back for what you did, but to win you back into a relationship with him. He is so for you that even when you weren't for God, he still sent Jesus to be born in this world, this world that we wrecked with our sin and our rebellion so that he could go to the cross and he could die and he could rise again to pay the penalty for your sin and my sin. That's how much God is for all the people, including you and me. Which is why the present that he gave us and that the angels announced in verse 14 was peace. The very first gift that God gave mankind at Christmas was peace. It's the promise that we can have peace with God. And then once we have peace with God through Jesus, we're able to experience peace with others and peace with ourselves. But the angel said peace is only available for those on whom his favor rests. Remember that statement? Now there's another word here for God's favor, and that is the word grace. And the only people who are only people who get God's grace experience God's peace. That's just how it works. But, but the good news is God doesn't arbitrarily decide who gets his grace. He, he doesn't look down from heaven and say, hey, grace to you, grace to you, grace to you, grace to you, sitting in Chipley, grace to you, a couple of you sitting in Mariana or in Bluntstown. No grace for you, no grace for you, no grace for you. No, 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 no. He doesn't arbitrarily, arbitrarily choose. His grace is available to all the people, but you have to be willing to embrace it. More specifically, you have to be willing to embrace Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace, who was born in a little dusty town called Bethlehem and eventually carried a cross down a dusty road to be crucified, and then three days later, he rose again. See, God's present to you this Christmas is the offer of peace that comes through his grace. So let me ask you this question. Will you accept that? Will you embrace it? Will you receive it? And then even greater than that, will you share it? See, some of you have never expressed to God that you want his grace that leads to experiencing the peace he offers through Jesus Christ. 
Maybe it's because you didn't believe that God was for you. Maybe you believed you'd messed up way too much for God to ever love you. Maybe you grew up being taught or being told that he was against you and that he was angry at you and that he was out to get you. He's not. Christmas proves it. Christmas proves that God loves you, that God is for you. And knowing that God is for you, it changes your whole life perspective about God. You don't have to run from him and hide from him because he's not angry at you. You can run to him because he loves you. And today, some of you, you need to grab the present that God is offering you, and you need to open it up, and you need to embrace his gift of grace. Some of you have done that. Some of you have experienced that gift of grace. But this Christmas, if you've experienced that gift of grace already, we need to share it. We need to show grace today and tomorrow to the people who are for us and the people who aren't for us. We, we need to show grace to the people who create peace in our life and we need to show grace to the people who don't create peace in our life because we have been the recipients of grace so we need to demonstrate grace so they can experience peace because grace always leads to peace. So in just a moment, we're gonna celebrate communion together. And if you're not familiar with communion, it's, it's something that Jesus taught those of us who are his followers to do in remembrance of the grace and the peace that he brings us. So if you're not comfortable doing this, you never received Jesus as your savior, and you, and you don't wanna do that, that's fine. You're not gonna be put on the spot. You won't feel awkward about it at all. But if you're a follower of Jesus, communion will help you to remember, to extend grace to those that you are with today and those you're with tomorrow and throughout the holiday season because grace, it always leads to what? peace. And for those of you with us today at Blountstown, Shipley, Mariana campus, if you have never received God's grace, can I invite you before we take communion together to embrace God's grace? Why wouldn't you do that? I mean, God is for you. He proved it at Christmas and he proved it at the cross. We don't want you to miss God's grace. So every one of you at all of our churches right now, will you bow your heads and open up your hearts to God? If you're with us today and you've never said, Jesus, I am a sinner and I am in need of a savior. Thank you for sending a savior to this earth for me. Will you just pray that in your heart? And will you just say, Jesus, today, I embrace this gift of grace and this gift of peace. Not because of anything that I've done, but because of what you did for me by coming to this earth, living, dying, and rising again. Thank you. Thank you for your amazing love. Thank you that you didn't come to pay me back, but you came to win me back. I repent of my sin, and I choose to follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, please don't leave your campus today without stopping by the gallery and letting us know. If you're a first-time guest, stop by. Don't forget to pick up your gift. But we want to give you some resources to help you know some next steps that you can take to really understand what it means to live in that grace so you're experiencing the God's peace and then can bring grace to others as you live your life. Now, in just a moment, the bands at all of our campuses are going to come back out and they're going to lead us in a song. And this song, it really captures the miracle of hope 
that Christmas really is. The hope that we gain by Jesus coming to this earth and paying the price for our sin. And here's what I want you to do, all of our campuses. As they sing, I want you to take a few minutes and reflect on where you are and what that means for you, this gift of God's grace. And then after you've thought about the amazing gift of God's grace, which leads to peace with God, when you're ready during the song, I want you to take the communion elements, turn to the bread side first, peel back that element, and eat the bread. Because the bread reminds us of Jesus' body that was broken up for us so that our brokenness because of sin could be healed. And then turn this over and peel back the lid. And the juice represents Jesus' blood that was shed to wash away all our sin and usher in this new covenant of us living in God's grace. And then, as you partake of the communion elements, I want you to make a personal commitment to say, Jesus, as I walk out of here today, I'm not only going to live in your grace and experience peace with you, but I'm going to give grace to people just like you have given grace to me. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this incredible opportunity. I thank you that Christmas is the celebration of the dawn of your redeeming grace. A grace that leads to peace with you, peace with ourselves, and peace with others. And I just pray right now, as we pause to reflect on your amazing love, that you stepped from heaven to earth and you entered into our world so that we could understand what it means to know that you are for us. And then you took it to a level that none of us can imagine when you died on the cross and you proved that you had the power to forgive through your resurrection. God made this Christmas celebration this year. It's just this amazing reminder of your amazing love demonstrated through your grace and then expressed through the gift of peace. We thank you that you are for us. In Jesus' name, amen.